Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. We put the scriptures on their heart. And one day, one of the people asked, why the scriptures on our heart instead of in our heart? And the rabbi said, well, only God can put the scriptures in your heart. But if you read the Torah and the scriptures rest on your heart, then when your heart cracks and breaks open, the scriptures can fall in. That's what I hope to do today. I hope that perhaps, once again, we could put the scriptures on our heart. And then, at some point, when the Holy Spirit has the Holy Spirit's way with us, those moments when our heart cracks and breaks, then the scriptures can fall in. This is what the epistle told us today. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Our rule of life, um, and there's copies of this um, on the back table as you leave today. If you want another copy, there's copies of it on our website online. It'll go out in our emails. Every year on Christ Our King Sunday, the final Sunday of the church year, the Sunday before Advent begins, we affirm our rule of life. In the preamble to that, in the, in the thing, the, the literature that gives us our grounding in that, we talk about how it's grounded in the scriptures, the true stories and teachings that Jesus give us and our attempts to humbly obey. We talk in our rule of life about hospitality, restoration, and shalom. This Sunday and next Sunday, I would like to speak a very particular word to our community as we talk about restoration. I think there are a couple things that some of us in our community need to be restored to. There's lots of places that all of us need restoration. There's lots of places where our world needs restoration, lots of places where our community needs restoration. I think, though, over the last year or so, it's become obvious to me that we need to be restored in two most basic Christian practices. It's the scripture and it's the church. We have a lot of people, and I sometimes would count myself in this number, of people who have had bad experiences with the Bible. You've had people use the Bible to beat you over the head. It's been a place of condemnation. It's not been a place of renewal and life. But I wanna to affirm to you the most basic reality that the scripture is God's living word to us. It literally is words of life. 
It's words that we need to live. It's words that orient us to the true story of the world. It's words that orient us to the true story of ourself. I know that some of us feel at great estrangement to the Bible. Some of us just are confused by it. Some of us just want to hold it at a distance. Some of us are angry with it. I'd like to wade through some of that. I'd like us to hear once again that this is not merely human words, but it's the words of God that Paul tells us are actively at work in us if we'll let them be. I know that a, no, a number of us probably feel very self-protective around these questions, and, and maybe the question next week too. I'm going to lean on, hopefully, your trust in my heart for you as a people, for our heart together. I know that some of us are, feel estranged from the Bible because we're really guarding our heart. We feel like we've been wounded. We feel very vulnerable. I want to say as clearly as I can, you don't have to guard your heart with God. I know you may think you have to guard your heart with God, but you don't. There may be people who've used God's name to do things that are evil, but we hear God's life and God's words to reject that. Some of us may be estranged from the Bible too because we just want to do things our own way. It's absolutely true. When we submit our life to God, we don't get to do things our own way. I actually can't rescue any of us from that. It's just something we have to wrestle with. But my hope and desire for my own life and my hope and desire for you as your pastor is that you would learn over time to trust and love God and to obey God and to find in that obedience actually liberation. There's a story in 2 Kings 22. I've thought about it for about a month. You may remember it from Sunday school long ago. It was when the people of God were in massive disrepair. And the Assyrian Empire had taken over the land. And several kings in a row had been absolutely awful kings. And they had abandoned everything that God had taught them. The people had, in so many ways, forgotten who God was. They'd gone after false idols. They'd come to love all these things that God said would destroy them. And in fact, they were being destroyed. And then at the age of eight, Josiah becomes king. Eight years old, he becomes the king. Within a few years, he recognized how the temple that had their history and their identity had been totally forgotten in disrepair, and he hired skilled workers. And he told them to clean up the temple, to repair it, to restore it. And as they were doing that work, they were down in the basement amid stacks of forgotten, dusty materials, cobwebs probably all over them, and they found in the stacks there what they called the book. It was the book of God. It was God's words to them. 
It was the teachings. It told them who they were. It told them who their God was. And they'd forgotten it. Well, the one that Josiah had sent to the temple, the priest comes to him and says, look what we found. We found the book. And he takes it back to Josiah. And Josiah, late into the night, opens up the book and reads page after page. And his heart is smitten because he hasn't read these words before. He hasn't even heard them. They've just been sort of faint memories in their social history, but he didn't know them. He hadn't heard them. And he's smitten. There's something that happens when the word is able to fall into our cracked heart. It undoes us. But it's not an undoing that destroys us. It's something that actually gives us life. It resurrects things that we've forgotten. It reminds us of truths that we thought we knew, but somehow have been clouded over by so many other ideas and ideals. And he was struck. And he said, oh, oh my, we're not obeying any of this. No one has taught us any of this. We ha- we're not doing any of this. We're careening toward ruin because the people had forgotten who they were. They'd forgotten their story. They probably thought somewhere along the way they were finding liberation, but they were actually shackling themselves to death. So Josiah called the people together and he had the book read. And this book had this entire effect on the community. It began to reorder them. The people were smitten. The people said, we haven't heard these words. And the people together said, yes, we will renew our covenant with this God. We will return to this God. This is life to us. I wonder if perhaps one of the reasons why we've so misread scripture, why it's often done less work for us than God intends for it to do is because we've seen it only as an individual book. My personal reading in my private quiet time that gives me my direction for my life. The scripture that comes from God is one that reorders the world. It is one that reorders an entire community. It's why we read the Bible together. You know, we read a lot of scripture on Sundays. And it's not because we hope that this is your one time a week that you get a good dose of the Bible. It's because we want to say to one another over and again, these are the words of life. It doesn't mean that these words of life are things that we completely understand. It doesn't mean that we don't bring a good bit of befuddlement to it. I'm befuddled when I read the Bible all the time. But there's a posture of hopefulness and receiving and curiosity and a desire to more and more be drawn deeper and deeper into the story that is true. It's why Psalm 119, which is this beautiful, really long psalm that tells us over and again in a million different images what this word from God is like. It opens with this question. How can a young person keep their way pure? 
How can we keep pointed toward a life that is whole and good? And this is the psalmist's answer. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. So these are the kinds of things that this psalmist would say about the words of life, scripture. I've hidden your word in my heart. That's what you do with a treasure. You hide it away in your heart. I rejoice in following your teachings as one rejoices in great riches. I so want that. I so want that for our church. I want us not to be afraid of God's teachings. I want us to rejoice in God's teachings because it is life to us. There is no other teaching that will lead us to life but God's teaching. And it is a great riches. I meditate on your precepts. I delight in your decrees. I don't know if it's, I, I do fear sometimes that I read my own story into your story. Uh, that's a problem. <laughs> so when I do that, then ignore that part, right? Hear God's story for you, where you are. Maybe because of our background, maybe because of our wounds, maybe because of our resistance and our stubbornness. I don't know if we often say, God, I delight in your decrees. I think many of us are afraid of God's decrees. You're only afraid of God's de decrees if God is not the decreeing God of love and power and healing and truth. Will it undo us? Yes. And we need to be undone. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes, God, that I may see wonderful things in your law. Don't hide your commandments from me, God. Oftentimes, I think, hey, God, could you please hide your commandments from me? <laughs> Don't hide your commandments from me, God, because they are life. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, for I trust in your word. May your unfailing love come toward me. I'm trusting in your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey. Remember your word to your servant. It is my only hope. Remember your word to your servant. It is my only hope. The poet Rumi talks about a reader who does not always remain bent over his pages, but he often leans back and closes his eyes over a line that he has been reading again and its meaning spreads through his blood. I want to read the Bible this way. 
I want, I want to receive life from God. I want its meaning to spread through my blood. When we hear Psalm 119 and these refrains, and there's really many, many more images, I, I just want to implore you, I want to tell you, the Bible is not something to be afraid of. It's, it's words of life to embrace. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with it. It doesn't mean that we don't have ongoing conversations with God. It doesn't mean that in a given room, we don't all understand the Bible the same way, but it does mean a posture of obedient curiosity and openness and receptivity. In John 6, there's this, this story where Jesus is talking about how he was God's food. And it's some of the strangest words in the Bible. He talks about eating his body and drinking his blood. How God had fed Israel with manna falling from the sky, and now God is going to feed all the people through Jesus. And on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So if you think when you read some parts of the Bible or some words of Jesus or some words of the prophets and you say, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? You are in good company. You don't need to be afraid of that. You speak it out. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And over years and time and with humility and grace and wisdom and with the Holy Spirit's revelation and inspiration in our hearts and our lives, sometimes we find the hard teaching sounded hard because we were reading it wrong. And sometimes we find the teaching was hard because we need to be changed. And that's a hard thing, but it is life. So Jesus responds to them and says, does this offend you? The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. All souls, does this offend you? The words that Jesus speaks to you are spirit and life. They are life. And I have to say, if I have done anything as a preacher to detract from these words being life in your soul and your heart, I ask your forgiveness. Because these are words of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus said. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, are you offended by this? These words are spirit and life. Are there some of you who don't believe? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus looked at the 12, those few remaining stragglers, and said, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
think it's an honest question for me. It's an honest question for you. Are we going to leave too? And there might be something in our heart because maybe it's cracked open. I would say, let me think about it. <laughs> Where am I going to go? If I don't have Jesus and the life that Jesus brings, what am I going to do? When I was in the, the deepest part of my faith crisis that lasted for quite a while, I remember coming to this point of deep sort of resolution, though it didn't feel like resolution, where I just felt like at the end of the day, I don't have an answer to most of my questions right now. I'm not sure I ever will. But I just know deep in my heart that I cannot and will not turn away from Jesus Christ. And I say again today, I cannot and will not turn away from Jesus Christ because he alone has the words of life. I believe this. It is very fair and honorable, I think, to say, oh, actually, I don't believe that. Well, that's a really worthwhile conversation to have. And we are all welcome here, regardless of what we think about Jesus. But I want to be very plain of how I am attempting to pastor you, because I don't want to be, uh, in a wrong kind of way, subversive. I'm here to try to convince you that Jesus is life, that he has always been life, and he will always be life. And there is no life that does not come from Jesus. And whenever life is found, it traces its way back to Jesus. And Jesus shows up in crazy places. And absolutely, the church has sometimes tried to hem Jesus in. And Jesus will not be hemmed in. But Jesus is life. And that means that Jesus' words are life to us. Because scripture is powerful to us, not just because it is a sacred book. It is life to us because it brings Jesus to us. This book is in many ways like this table. It is a sacramental encounter where in reading and hearing, the spirit takes words and puts them into our cracked heart and begins to heal broken places and take away blinded eyes and remove lies and tell us the truth about ourselves. And sometimes that's really hard and painful, but it always leads to joy. Always. Jesus leads to joy. Jesus's words lead to joy. Jesus's life leads to joy. Jesus' teachings lead to joy. But maybe God will tell me things I don't want to hear. Maybe reading the book will mess me up. Almost certainly. If we come to Scripture only to find our predispositions confirmed, we are inherently misreading the Bible. But the only reason why that would be troublesome for us is if God is not a God who can be trusted. And that's why most of my time, I think, is spent trying to help us reimagine who the God of Scripture actually is. 
And the God of Scripture is the God who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The God of Scripture is the God who did not hold anything back, but gave him full, his full self, even his own life, for the sake of love. You can trust that God. Will Willimon is a, a pastor who's bolder than me. And sometimes more annoying, hopefully. Um, he's very prophetic. He's a Methodist pastor. He said once, and these words have always rung true with me. He said, my job is not to apologize for scripture, but to proclaim it. That's my job. I think I would have to add, my job is not to understand it. There absolutely has to be humility. I mean, immense humility here. I understand lots of spiritual figures holding the Bible have not done so with humility. I'm genuinely sorry. For whatever ways, and I absolutely know it's true, for whatever ways I have pastored you without humility, please forgive me. That is a sin. That is not God. And we can overdo the thing on humility in such that we never have any convictions about anything. When the scripture is alive to us, it actually emboldens us to act in ways that call us to life and call one another to life with a massive amount of grace for how none of us get it right. But there is a heart and a call to hear God's words of life, to respond to them, to let them fall into our cracked heart, to open us up, to open us up to our world. It's why exactly this summer we talked about why justice needs Jesus. It's precisely the scriptures that call us to a way of life that would make us want to enact the way of Jesus in the world. And it all weaves and finds its way back to the God who created us, the God who speaks to us, the God who loves us, the God who calls us to life. I want to call us to life. I want us to live. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.